Okay, so are we doing it wrong is what this is called. Are we doing what wrong? It says down here, the, the subtitle says, Now that I'm saved, how do I live it? Now, I will ask for a show of hands. Some of you aren't saved. You don't quite know what that means. Uh, or born again. Um, and if somebody asks you are, you, are you born again? And you say, I don't know. It's kind of like asking somebody, are you married? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm married. Maybe I'm not. I don't know if I'm married. Um, or we could use a bunch of analogies like that. We've got a bunch of pregnant women in the room. Are you pregnant? Are you a parent? Do you have a job? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I have a job. Maybe I don't. Usually if you're born again, you know it. And so this is really directed towards people who are born again. They know they're born again. Because Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But after we're born again, which means you're brought into a right relationship with God as a gift, which virtually every world religion and even corrupted forms of Christianity miss this, being right with God is a gift. And it happens, like John Wesley said, like a lightning strike from heaven. And you can't be any more saved or less saved, and it's not based on your performance. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. That if we believe the right things about Jesus Christ, um, and we let him take our sin, and we exchange our sin for the life that he wants to give us, we're brought into relationship with God, and there's no condemnation anymore. He takes our sin, etc., and if you've never been born again and you don't know if you're in right relationship with God, then today is your day and don't leave here till you know. And I will show you, I'll prove it to you from Scripture. Um, we're doing a uh, seminar on Saturday morning. We're going through the book of Romans. The first five chapters in the book of Romans is trying to show people this message that we must believe. And it immediately will bring us into right relationship with God. Uh, a lot of us are memorizing what's called the Romans Road, and a bunch of you are using it. And for the sake of our guests, just to show people that we're serious around here, how many of you guys have used the Romans Road recently to help somebody understand the gospel? Raise your hands. Come on, put them higher. Higher, higher. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, like a bunch. And some people are doing this action. Why? Um, but it's basically, uh, Nick and I went through it in the park the other day with a guy that was walking by. And um, it's basically you're a sinner. Anybody in here not a sinner? Meaning you're not the person you ought to be and you know it. And if God were here looking you in the eye, he'd say, you, have you been the person you're supposed to be? You'd have to say, no, I haven't been. I have done bad things. I've lied, cheat, stolen, gossiped, slandered, harbored bitterness in my heart, etc. And the scripture says that the wages of sin is death. So the Romans Road says all of sin, then it says the wage of sin is death, which means the, the penalty of your sins means you are separated from God. You're not in a relationship with God. Um, and then the next step in the Romans Road comes from Romans chapter 5, and it says, but because God loved you while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. So Jesus took your death. He took the penalty for your sin. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to be a moral example or a good teacher, even though he was that. He came to die for you, for me. That's the gospel, is that Jesus Christ took your penalty, your sin. And if you believe that, that he died for you, and then he rose again on the third day, and you accept him into your life, and you surrender to him as Lord, you're in. And you're as in as you will ever be, and as in as you ever can be, just by believing that message. And then... Paul goes on to say in the book of Romans, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will 
be saved. Not might be saved, will be saved if they try really hard after they call on the name of the Lord or goes through a whole rigmarole and obstacle course of do's and don'ts throughout their life. No, you're as in as you can be if you accept the gospel. We're not going to go over that this morning. If you're not clear on that, don't run out the door. Talk to me or call me. I'll take you out to coffee. A lot of people are scared of me. And then when we go out to coffee, they're like, hey, you're pretty cool. You know, you're not, you're not scary at all. Um, I'd love to just talk with you about it. Like, I'm trying to sort this out. You know, I've heard some of these things about Jesus dying. I just, for the world, but I, I, I didn't quite get that. What was this whole born again thing? But we're going to move past that a little bit because most of you in here are born again. And then in the book of Romans, once you get past chapter 5, Paul is saying, okay, now what, is it, what are the implications? Because there's people who are born again and they're brought into a relationship with God, but they can't figure out how to be the person they want to be. Anybody relate to that? Yes, absolutely. Put those hands up high. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. Most of us, some of us are sitting here like, I ain't saying nothing about myself, even though it's true. But then you're going to see everybody in the room feels like that. Every born-again person, it's something you have to overcome through knowledge and maturity. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of truly born-again children of God, Christians, who are, some of them are despairing of life. They have all the problems they had before they got saved, and they don't understand why they can't overcome, and I always throw out the common ones, my eating disorder, my anxiety, my depression, my porn addiction, whatever. I, why can't I overcome it? I really meant business when I went down to the altar. My hatred for my mother. Why can't I get over all these things? So now when we shift into chapter 6, 7, 8, Paul is saying, Okay, you born again people, you all got this gospel thing down. You all, you've gone through the Romans road. You've accepted Jesus as your sin bearer. Uh, Romans 5 starts out, Therefore, having been made right, we have peace with God. It's like, okay, we're, we're, we're settled, we're in the door, but now how do we live it? And that's what I want to talk about today. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just jump right in. I think I'm going to jump over here. I'm just going to jump right into the text. And you guys will, you can relate to this. I do not understand what I'm doing. This is Romans 7, beginning in verse 15. I do not understand what I'm doing. I'm not doing what I really want to do. I have some things in, I know the Greek, I have some things in parentheses here that help with the understanding of what is being said. I'm not doing what I really want to do, but I'm doing the thing I hate. You guys relate to that? It happened this week for a lot of you guys. Why can't I be the guy I want to be? Because in my heart of hearts, this is who I want to be, and yet I keep doing this. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law of God. It's good. So there's something in me that wants what he wants, but I'm just not able to pull it off. But now, no longer am I the one doing it. Uh Uh-oh, sounds like we have split personality disorder. And we do. The Bible calls it the struggle between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh is your fallen, sinful nature that you were walking in before you came to Christ. And the Spirit is the deposit of the Holy Spirit that you receive after you get born again. But a lot of born-again people don't even know it's there. They don't even know that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has moved in and changed their desires, put a new power source in them. And they're Christians, but they're trying to be good because God's changed the direction of their heart. But they're trying to rely on their old strength. To do it. So it's, it's a total disconnect and it doesn't work. 
And this is why we feel this, because we don't know how it works. I agree with the law of God that it's good, but now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I know, uh, for I know that good does not dwell in me that is in my flesh. That's the fallen part of me. The wanting is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. The good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. But, and this is a real hard section to memorize, I've said that many times. If I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. (coughs) I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person. That's, this, that statement is why I think this is talking about a Christian. Before you were a Christian, did you joyfully agree with the law of God? Oh, I'm all for no sex before marriage. Count me in. I'm all for not slandering your enemies. I'm all for <coughs> loving everybody on the earth. You know, we're not joyfully agreeing with the law of God. This is a person that really wants to do the will of God that can't figure out how to pull it off. I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my body's parts. Wretched person that I am who will set me free from the body of this death. When Greek says man, it's anthropos. It's just general term for people. Wretched per- I'm a wretched. I'm miserable. This is a nightmare. I really want to be a good person, but I can't. And then some people say, well, I must not be saved. To the contrary, this struggle probably proves that you actually are saved. Because before you were saved, you didn't have the struggle. You only felt bad about your sin because you got caught and you messed up your life and people didn't like you or got you in trouble and you lost your jobs and your boyfriends and girlfriends and friends. And, you know, that was, it was all woe is me, self-pity. This is, I really want to do God's will and I don't know how to pull it off. So now I'll jump back here and I'm going to talk to you guys about this is a picture of something really super cool that happened back in the uh, mid 1800s. I'm always trying to force you guys back into the 1700s and the 1800s to read about what the Christians were doing back then. Because what I discovered them, I like to use this analogy. Anybody in here? Athlete, used to be an athlete, kind of an athlete thinks of themselves as an athlete, used to think of themselves as an athlete, ever went to a gym, ever driven by a gym? No, just kidding. Okay. I, I used to think of myself as an athlete, and you're always trying to improve, and you're always trying to find the next thing to get you to the next level. The Christians of, of this era between like 1720 to about 1920, um, <laughs> goodness. So, when I, when I started reading their works, it was as if I were an athlete, and I said, did you know back in the, in the 1800s, those of you who know football, everybody could run a, a 4-1-40, and everybody could bench press 500 pounds, and uh, I mean, defensive backs, everybody, I mean, the linemen, they were up in the thousands, right? And the, yeah, the fast guys, they were doing three fives in the 40, and you know, vertical jumps were like six feet. You're like, what in the world were they doing back then? When I read about these Christians, that's how I feel. When I read about the George Mueller's, I mean, I get emotional because it's like, and they were everywhere and their books, nobody reads their books anymore, relatively speaking. There's some freaks like our church that read these books. There's thousands of these books. 
these people, when, when you read their books, it looks like the apostles from the book of Acts were tossed into America, Europe, um, Canada, where, wherever they, world missions, wherever they go on world missions. It was like you took Peter or Paul and you just threw them down there. The Holy Spirit would come, amazing answers to prayer. People by the thousands would come into the kingdom. And I, when I discovered this, I'm like, why are we doing this now? What in the world? And then I found that they did things a lot different than we do them now. They prayed different. They expected different things about, you know, from the Holy Spirit. They believed different things about the Holy Spirit. Same Bible, more or less the same gospel. But then from there, everything was different. They'd have all nights of prayer. They would, they would declare things that were going to happen before they would happen, as like they did in the Bible. You know, they would, it, it was incredible. Another thing that they had, this picture here is, is a con- these conferences that they would have. And all of these people were people like us, born-again people, seeking the answer to the holiness issue. How do I walk this out? How do I become the person that I want to be? How do I become courageous, compassionate, Christ-like, gracious, giving, etc., etc.? How do I wake up in the morning you know, and, and all day long bear good fruit for God, lay my head, not be overcome by sin, not have my legs taken out, not have to confess sin over and over again because I don't know how to overcome it? These people started seeking the Lord together about how to find the answer biblically to how do I live this out? Not a bunch of rules that are miserable, but I'm t- if you read these people's books, they are joyful they are loving life, and you read about them like my, my big hero as time goes on is Deal Moody. The dude just loved life. He just, he just had fun. And when I picture him up in heaven, there's a big circle of people around him, and he's cracking jokes, and they're all laughing, and he's, he's having fun. But he led a million people to Christ. And everywhere he went, he, he would change the social structures. There are books about how, how he dealt with you know, poverty and crime, and just, just his presence in an area would change it. He was a preacher. People would come by the tens of thousands to hear him. But he just enjoyed, he enjoyed his relationships. People said he had a great marriage. His kids loved him. His son wrote his, his autobiography. Not his autobiography, the biography. <laughs> right? But this, this is his conference. It was called Keswick. And tens of thousands of people are meeting all over the globe and they're seeking God for the answer to holy, this holiness problem. I'm born again, but how do I walk it out? Uh, in terms of the people that were having fun, uh, this is one of my heroes, Amy Carmichael. Anybody read any Amy Carmichael? One, two, three, and then one of these. Um, and another one of those. Amazing young lady. This is, she, she did this when she was in uh, probably late 20s, early 30s. She was known for saving girls out of um, uh, temple practice. They'd give babies to the temple. And they'd raise them up to be these, what do they call them, Davidasan, like dancing girls. But they, a lot of times they become prostitutes. And she's like this warrior who would go and rescue these little girls. And her ministry's still going today in India. But Christians today, we've lost our heroes like this, born-again Christians. And so we go read books about like Mother Teresa, who had no peace. If you read her biography, that woman had no peace. No joy. She thought God was a million miles away. Go read Amy Carmichael sometime. It's like, why am I reading Amy Carmichael? This woman was amazing. She was the first missionary sent out by this this Keswick organization. It's called Keswick because it started in this little area in England called Keswick. And they'd send out these powerhouse, joy-filled, world-changing people like Amy Carmichael. But she was the first missionary sent out by the the Keswick um, convention. 
And then th- I like reading guys like this. He was one of the main speakers at Keswick, and a lot of you guys know who that is. Andrew it's Andrew Murray. He's kind of, we don't have gurus in the Christian faith. But if we did, he'd be one. The dude, is just, he wrote like 40 books and hundreds of shorter tracks and things about the spiritual life. And, okay, I'm getting to a point here. What I discovered is they, 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 found, they found what they were after. And these are Christians of all different denominations. They preach the same gospel, but you got Lutherans and you got Presbyterians and you got Baptists and you got Methodists. But they said, look, none of us have the corner on doctrine. There's some things in the Bible you can't miss, like you're a sinner, Jesus died for your sin, you need to believe that, surrender to him as Lord of your life, follow him, etc. But then when we get into some arguments about, you know, mode of baptism, or like, like Richard was saying, spiritual gifts, some of the details, we can have some disagreements. But these people are like, look, we're in the same family, we may have some secondary disagreements of opinion, but God has made a way for us to find holiness. I keep finding these people making reference to this book which was written in 1692. And the guy's name is Walter uh, Marshall. It's called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. And they're all saying, well, well, we discovered this guy actually, he was on to it quite a uh, a, a while before we kind of in mass discovered this thing. And he kind of, uh, this is, some people think of this as the greatest Christian work ever written on. Sanctification is just how do you live a holy life? But the word holy sounds stodgy and cold. How do you live a joy-filled, loving life that you really enjoy? How about that for holiness? How do you, how do you live out a joy-filled, loving life? Because he describes holiness as loving God with all your, your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what holiness is. How do you do it? And I, and I kept finding it in this book. So uh, people making reference back to this book. And this morning, sometimes I'll go to sleep listening to these great Christians from the past talking about stuff that they had a beat on that we don't anymore in the broader church in America. And uh, I'm listening to this, what was it, Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray. And I'm, I don't know if I'm up in the 10th chapter and all of a sudden he starts going off on this Walter Marshall guy again. And he's like, this book is so important, but it's hard to wade through. So he's like, I streamlined it. And he wrote a book, I think. He, he like condensed it. It's called Sanctification, High, The Highway to Holiness, I think is what he called it. Highway to Holiness. But anyway, so I started. I wonder what Walter, Mar- uh, Walter Martin said. And I started looking through it. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. This is what all these people are saying. He's not saying anything new. He's just one of the early, early voices saying it. And in the preface to the one I was reading, they made reference to this... I hope I'm not talking too fast, giving you too many details. This very passage. They said, how do you overcome this struggle? I'm saved, but I don't know how to stop sinning. In the preface to the Walter Martin book, the one I was reading was maybe published in 1850, even though the first one was written in 1695. The guy makes reference to this passage because we all feel like this. What's the solution? What's the answer? How do I live out the life that my heart is yearning to live out, but I can't seem to pull it off? Would anybody like to know? Three and a half people. Okay, good. The rest of you can go home. No, just kidding. Um, So Paul says, I I have this problem. I have this struggle. But then he says, at the end of it all, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like, if you're born again, 
Your problem is solved, you just haven't gotten a hold of it yet. It's like you have student loans, but you don't know that Uncle Ralph just bequeathed to you $10 million. Your problems are solved, you just don't know it yet. That's what, he, that's what Paul goes into here. Uh, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. Why? Because I've been renewed. My inner person has been renewed when I was born again. But on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. And then he flows into chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So Paul thinks the battle's over. And he thinks it has something to do with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus which has set us free from that law of sin and of death, that frustrating cycle that we, can't, we know what's right, we know what we ought to be doing, but we can't pull it off. And uh, one of my goals recently, and pray for me, I really want to do this, is to shorten my sermons. I just think they're too long. Um, and I really try to make them short, and I try not to prepare much, and they still go long. And so I try to keep them... You'd be surprised at how I'm trying. I'm really trying today. I want to make this short. There's a solution. For those of you who aren't born again, you need to be born again. If you're not born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. You have no relationship with God. If that feels like I'm stomping on your toes because you think you're a good person, the Bible says you're deceived. You're not a good person. If I had all your dark secrets on my cell phone, you'd never come to this church again. You'd never look me in the eye again. You're not a good person. Give it up. Better than Charles Manson doesn't mean anything, okay? You're not a good person. We're sinners. We deserve death. You need to be born again. You need the gift of righteousness bestowed on you as a gift of God because of what Christ has done. For those of you who are born again, there is a way for you to be free of this constant battle with your sinful flesh. And I want to talk about it a little bit here, and I want to do it quickly, and I hope, I hope it works. I hope it, I hope it makes sense to you. And I hope we can talk a lot more about it in the future. And you need to stop trying to keep the rules to be good. And you need to believe the fact that God has made you good. And you say, well, that sounds too easy. Well, everything about the kingdom of God sounds too easy. And that's why most people fly right over it. That's why salvation sounds too easy. You're telling me. Okay, I'll use a friend of mine. I've blown up two marriages. I haven't. Those are there in Zoom land. I have a really great marriage. We're working on 30 years here. Actually, 28 this year, but we're getting close. Um, but my friend, he's now dead. He wouldn't mind. He's up in heaven rooting for me. But you're telling me I've blown up two marriages. I got kids addicted in all kinds of sin. Everybody in the community hates me. The day he got saved, one of the guys in our church came up and said, look, I'm glad, you know, so-and-so's in, but don't expect us to be friends anytime soon. Literally, that's what he said to me right after this guy gave his life to the Lord. So you're telling me, I blew up two families, I got kids that are nightmares, everybody in the community hates me, etc. I'm a cantankerous jerk. All I have to do is believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, was put in the ground, resurrected on the three day, uh, third day, ask him to forgive me, come into my life, and tell him I'm going to follow him and mean it, and I'm good, that's it. 
what he said to me is, what if I can't quit smoking? I said, Jesus will work it out for you. Just make the decision. That's not his biggest problem, is it? You smoke cigarettes. But anyway, that's as easy as it is. I, I talked to another person one time. He said, that's too easy. I need a harder track. I said, well, you're being arrogant because that's the track God gave us. The same with sanctification. The same with holiness. The same with living this out. You've got to stop thinking of yourself as a dirtbag that's trying to be good. And instead realize what has happened inside of you. And if you don't know that, Paul, Paul keeps saying in the book of Romans, are you ignorant? Are you ignorant? And obviously the implication is, yes, you're ignorant. A lot of you guys are born again. You don't understand what happened in your soul. Why do you joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner person? Why? Why, why is the struggle there at all? Because you were changed. Into what? Into a saint who loves the will of God and wants to do the will of God. You're not a wicked, reprobate, horrible person that happens to have a ticket into heaven when you die. There's something that happened in your soul when you were born again, and a lot of Christians aren't aware of it. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you're trying, if you're thinking of yourself as a bad person who's trying to be good, it's never going to work, and you're going to live in that Romans 7 chapter, which Paul didn't put it there to encourage you to stay there. He, to, he, he put it there so he could catapult you out of it. What you need to realize is that God's Holy Spirit, God's forgiven you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you. Paul says in Romans, uh, our 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Don't you know that? Don't you know he's in there? But he's not just in there. He also says he's, he's become one spirit with your spirit. He's changed your desires. But I'm only halfway there. He's also brought all of his resources of power into your life. But as with everything in the kingdom of God, if you don't believe it, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. If you don't believe God for salvation, you're not saved. It's just potentially there for you to take. If you're a born-again Christian and you're not believing who you are, my heart has been changed, my desires have been changed, why do I feel so miserable when I fall into that old sin? Because that's not who you are. But I, but I tell myself that's who I am, and I hit myself in the head and call myself stupid because that's who I am. Well, if you get clear on this and say, look, I love being compassionate I love being generous this didn't come from me this is me after Christ I love being courageous I love serving the poor I love defending the helpless I love being mocked for Jesus' name everything that God loves I love because that's what he did in my spirit and if you're born again that's what he did in your spirit and you need to understand that you've been changed. You've been born again. You've been regenerated. God's spirit has taken up residence inside of you. He's transformed you. You've now been connected to the source of life, God himself. And now the Christian life is just sorting it out and learning how to walk that out. But if you don't start from that place of, I am a saint. I've been made new. I am clean. I am, my impulses are in the right direction. And God's given me all the power I need to live this out. It's going to be this perpetual defeat. So this uh, book I keep hearing everybody rave about, I just read a few pages and I'm like, ah, oh, that's all he's getting at. I, I had a Bible college teacher put this stuff in my hands first year of Bible college. I don't know why Christians don't pass these books around. Praise God, I got the good stuff when I got in the door. 
Jesus' death was my death. My old man died with Christ. My, that sinful part of me that loved the drugs and loved the hatred and loved the bitterness and loved the rebellion and loved the infidelity and loved all that kind of stuff, that, that, that person died with Christ. And just as Christ raised to life, when I accepted Christ, when I was born again, I raised to life with Him. And just as Christ is courageous and Christ is compassionate and Christ is generous, that is the direction that my heart is pushing, 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 pushing. And God says, you need to learn how to cooperate with that. Because that's who you are. You're not a dirtbag that's trying to be good. You're a saint that needs to learn how to cooperate with what God has done in your heart and in your life. So you need to believe the fact that God has made you good. Paul talks all about this in Romans, uh, the, the first, um, I mean, not the first, the first five are all about getting you established, but then six, seven, and eight are talking about his death is your death, his resurrection is your resurrection. He really, the Holy Spirit really took up habitation in you. He really regenerated you. He really changed your desires, and he really gave you the power to live it out. Now you have to believe it and walk in it, or you're just going to be a person whose desires are pulling them this way, but you're living like an unsaved person. And you're miserable. And you do have split personality disorder. Instead you say, you know that old person? There's some residual hang-on leftover stuff uh, until Christ comes back. The Bible calls that the flesh-spirit battle. But that dude, is, for, for all intents and purposes, he's just dead. He's got no authority. That's not the true me. That's not my desire. And he has no power to make me do anything. The real me is the resurrected me. Your baptism is a picture of a resurrection. I've been resurrected with Christ. His life is my life. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And I not only have the desire to do what's right, I have the power to do what's right. So Paul prays in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you'd know the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. In accordance with, I don't have this on the board, sorry. The working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. You have resurrection power inside of you if you're born again. Some of you aren't getting it. Some of you are born again and you're like, I don't quite understand what you're saying. Some of you are going, hallelujah, finally. If you're not getting it, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, because the Bible says this in so many different ways. And if you're not a Christian, and you're not having fun yet, and if you don't love who you are, and love what God has called you to do, you're doing it wrong. Because it's fun, you get high on life, walking with God, you get clarity, you make a positive impact, you're like a ship going through life with a whole bunch of people behind you giving you phone calls. Oh, brother, just thank you so much. I just so appreciate people just praising God that, that God has you on planet Earth because He's using you. And there's, there's nothing more rewarding than that. And if it's drudgery and it's difficult, it's because you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. You need to understand who you are. You need to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And keeping this short, I'm going to look at one of Paul's prayers here. He's praying for Christians who don't get it yet. He says, this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and of course he's in a posture of prayer there, that he'd grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person so that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. It doesn't mean he's not there. It means that his active reality would be manifested. His presence would be known and experienced by you. Christ would dwell in your heart. How? You've got to ignite it through faith. If you don't believe He's there, you don't believe you've got the new desires and the new power, you're not going to have the strengthening power of His Spirit in the inner person. 
That you being rooted and grounded in love, because that's what that's how it's going to manifest. What is love? It's not an ooey-gooey feeling. Sometimes there's some pretty amazing feelings that go along with it. Sometimes there are no feelings. Love is the will to do what is best for everybody around you. That's what it is. You don't, you don't fall in love and fall out of love and love because you feel like it and then not love tomorrow because you don't feel like it. We love because the Spirit of God is in us and He compels us to do the best, the best for the people around us. And as we grow in maturity, we figure out, hey, what's best for Sam? What's best for Susan? You know, what's, all these different people around me, what's best for them is different in every situation. The Holy Spirit shows me how to love them. That's why they're blessed, because they're in a relationship with me if I'm doing it right. And they're blessed if they're in a relationship with you if you're doing it right. He says, I pray that you get this. That Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. You being rooted and grounded in love would be able to grasp, lay hold of with all the saints, the width, the breadth and length. My old version says breadth and length and height and depth. And I'm not going to say it any different than that because it's locked in my brain. Breadth and length and height and depth. Know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What happens when you understand I've died with Christ, that old me, that sinful me. He's out of a job. He may be, he may be like kind of walking around trying to get me to fall into sin. I'm like, dude, you, you don't have any hold on me anymore. I've been resurrected with Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians says. Um, when that happens, it's the love of God that's let loose in your life. And God is love. So basically, what He is is now flowing out of you and spilling all over everybody around you. And that's what holiness is. And that's how this works. But Paul's praying, oh man, there's some people here in Ephesus they are not getting it. And he's writing to the Romans. Man, there's some of these Romans are trying to keep rules. They think of themselves as, you know, dirty, sinful, wicked people that happen to have a ticket into heaven. He says, no, you've been changed. You've been transformed. You've been made new. You've been washed. Your desires have been changed. And you have all the power to live out the desires that God's put in your heart. Own it. Look at yourself in the mirror and say it. I'm a saint. I love the will of God and I have the power to live out the will of God. And I'm going to live out the will of God because that's what I want. And that God's made provision for me. So, know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You guys ever felt filled up to all the fullness of God? Anyone in here ever just like got a taste of that? A little taste? Anybody? I just want to see. Put your hands up big, big, big. Just a little taste. Okay, Dale Moody, I, I like to quote him. Charles Finney said the same thing. He had to ask God to stop because he, he, he said, or I'm going to die for joy. I'm so happy right now. I'm so content that if God doesn't stop, you know, dumping this on me, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to die. I'm going to be translated to glory. He's like, God, if you want me to stick around, you better just dial that back a little bit. Now, we don't get that every day, but God kind of lets us experience it occasionally to know the reality of it. Filled up to all the fullness of God. There's nothing better. Nothing better. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. This is God's will for you. Paul's saying you should be praying for this. If your Christianity isn't fun, rewarding, satisfying, fruitful, you just got to figure it out. You just got to figure it out. You're doing it wrong. The devil's like sliding you. So you, you were in a bad church growing up. You, you, a lot of us were because we, what they were doing back in the 1700s and 1800s was totally different. Read their books. Listen to these people. They were world changer. I want to be a world changer. Amen. I want to. I want to live in the presence of God. That's 
That's our inheritance. And the key, according to Romans, says, stop trying to be good. Stop trying to keep rules. Thinking of yourself as a bad person, trying to be a good person. You're a good person because of what Jesus has done, because his goodness is in you. You're not a good person because you did anything. You're a good person because God just put his spirit inside of you when you accepted that gift of salvation. Now learn to flow with that, run with that. That's what Paul's saying here. And then you'll be filled up to all the fullness of God, and all of us will die well. When, you know, if Jesus comes back, we'll be shouting and jumping. And if we die of old age, we'll be in the old folks' home saying, I wouldn't have done it any other way. Read about how the old saints die. They die singing hallelujah and read about John Wesley's death or D.L. Moody's death. They die well. I want to die well. So, I'm doing a pretty good job keeping this shorter than normal. So, I'm, I'm pretty close to... I'll just land the plane right now. So... How are we going to be holy? Let God destroy what you think you know about holiness. I don't care what church you grew up in. God needs to demolish it. If you're not having fun and it ain't working, it ain't true. Let him destroy it, obliterate it. Sometimes I'll teach people this new stuff that's really not new stuff. It's the oldest stuff. But then they kind of try to hang on to what they thought before and incorporate this in. Or they'll read it and they'll say, oh, that's really interesting. But I'm going to go with what I had before. I say, well, then you'll have the same experience you had before. Let God destroy it. If you're going to reincorporate something, or not reincorporate, but if you're going to incorporate some new thought into your system, you're going to have to remove something. You can't have it all up there, this jumble of error and truth. If this is true, then what you think you know is a lie. What's the next thing? Agree with what God's Word says about holiness. You were declared right when you were born again. There's nothing left to earn, and God's love has invaded you, and you have to learn how to flow and be what you are in Christ. Paul says in Corinthians, Thus were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were set right. Stop living like that. Oh, that's not you. You're living a lie. When you saints are trying to sin, thinking that's making you happy, think that's who you, thinking that's who you are, you're lying to yourself and everybody around you. And to God, you're just living a lie. <laughs> Live the truth. You want to be a saint. So learn how to cooperate with that. So let God destroy what you think you know. And then seek His face. Man, plunge into these books. Listen to these people that got it done, that lived it well. These people that went out and changed the world and the love of God and the life of God flowed through them. And another thing is, faith, a promise of God doesn't work if you have known sin in your life. I just really felt strongly that I needed to throw this in here. There's all these promises in God's Word, not just for holiness, but for power, for service, and provision, and guidance, and all these things. None of them work if you have known sin in your life, born-again saints. So if you came here and you're not going to forgive your roommate or you're not going to tell that professor that you cheated or whatever and God's saying, look, you got to deal with this. If you're saying, I'm not going to, but man, I sure love that freedom he's talking about. Lord, I just claim by faith that gift of freedom and joy and whatever. God's like, look, it's potentially there for you, but you have to come into his presence with clean hands and a pure heart. So get rid of all known sin before you try to move in this direction because the promises of God kind of just lay there dormant until you're ready to receive them. And one of those conditions is clean hands and a pure heart. And then just start pressing in. Uh, I don't know, when I look at history and all the different breakthroughs that people have, seldom does it happen because they stumbled into a community center on Sunday morning and then they walked out with the goods. If one of you happened to get this today in a life-changing way, I would bet money that you've been crying out to God about this for quite a while. And this is God just kind of bringing this stuff together for you. 
And for those of you who this is kind of like, wow, this could be really helpful. Um, God said, all right, well, let's go to it. You and me. Like Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Let's you and me get down to business. Start meeting with me. Start seeking this out. Start talking to people. Yeah, that pastor said, call him for a cup of coffee. Call him up. Don't be a coward. He'll show you what the Bible says about this. He'll put some books in your hands like this. Walter. There's other guys that sound like his name. But this Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. I'll probably put an abridged version in your hand. It's really hard to get through. But wrestle with it. Get up in the morning. Start praying. You've heard me tell this story. When Richard wanted to experience the, the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, he used to set aside an hour every day just to pray about that one thing. A lot of Christians have never prayed for an hour, period. So, if you want this, I think I'm going to land this plane in one minute. Let God destroy what you think you know about holiness, being a Christian, living it out. Throw away all the books that you've read that aren't working. There's a lot of junk books out right now. Get into the Bible, and then if you do have to read books, make sure they're at least 100 years old. I'm serious. Let God destroy what you think you know. Agree with what God's Word says about holiness, about who you are, what you are, what has happened inside of you. Be able to tell me what you believe chapter and verse. You are declared right by act of God's kindness and his love via his Holy Spirit has invaded your life, transformed you, changed you. Get rid of all known sin so that you're in a position to receive. And then just start wrestling. And do like Jacob said. I will not let you go, God, until you bless me. I'm going to get this holiness thing down or I'm going to die in the attempt. That's, you study history, you study the Bible, that's how the intercessors get the stuff. You got to want it. You got to want it. And when you want it, that's when God says, man, there's nothing I'd rather do than let you experience the fullness that I created you for. So that's, are we getting it wrong? Yeah, a lot of us are getting it wrong, completely wrong. Is there an answer? Absolutely. Thanks be to God, you know, through Jesus Christ. The, the, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 7 is not our story. Romans 8 is our story which is, I think, the coolest chapter in the entire Bible. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's what it's all about. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? That is a man who's bulletproof, who's winning the battle, who's going to break the tape in glory, and in heaven it's just going to be high fives all around. That's how I want to go. So if uh, anybody wants to talk after this, I'll be here. Um, Anybody wants to get right with God, I'm praying that God starts bringing people to the Lord again in this house. We used to have several people of service. It hasn't happened in a while. Although people trickle in the kingdom and other, you know, but I want to see people start getting saved. That's you. Come talk to me. Uh, if you want to schedule an appointment, I'm available. And there's a whole bunch of other amazing godly people in this church too that I could steer you to if, you know, might be a better fit. But let's pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is in me. And you've changed my heart and you've made me love the things you love and hate the things you hate which is sin, anything that's hurtful to others. You've given me courage and compassion, and uh, I don't walk this out perfectly by any stretch, Lord God, but you're the one that did the miracle, and I want to do it better, and I want that for my brothers and sisters, and I pray that the light would go on for all of us, like Paul prayed, that we'd know the breadth and length and height and depth, know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, not just as a theological fact, but an experience uh, that we see in our life every day. We thank you for your word. We love you. Continue moving in this place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.